Once again, good morning, church. If you're a guest with us today, I want to personally welcome you. If, if I had the time, I'd love to greet you afterwards. I usually go out into the Connect Center to say hello uh, to visitors. I've got to go jump on an airplane, though, uh, so I can't do it today. But here's what we want to say. If you're looking for a church home and you don't have one, you do now. We'd love to have you be a part of our family and our fellowship here at Wheaton Bible Church. This is a great place to not just be served, but to serve. We make a dent in the world because of the things God allows us to do here. So God be with you and us as we now head into uh, what I hope is going to be a, a stirring um, teaching for you. I'm actually going to start by asking two questions that are not my questions. These questions are from one of the great cultural icons of our world today, the illustrious Tina Turner. <laughs> and she asked two key questions that have to do with our text today. The first was, what's love got to do with it? Got to do with it? All right. Her second question, what's love but a second-hand emotion? So there's her two questions. The brief answer, which will expand into the full answer, God willing, is the question of what's God, love God to do with it? It's got everything to do with it. It's got everything to do with life. It's got everything to do with the sustenance of life on this earth. If we get love right, the world has a chance of making it right. Second one, what's love but a second-hand emotion? We would say, unfortunately, madam, you're caught up with defining love by only one of the four words, and the Greek language uses three others. And that probably wouldn't make a lot of sense, but I would try it anyway, and I'm going to try it on you right now, all right? So... We're going to deal with love today because the, what are we saying? This whole series in 1 John and, and Rob will be back next week. We've got two more after this Sunday on love works. It really does. It's got to be the right love. So we'll be in 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 21. And I'd ask you to open your Bibles or turn them on to that right now. Or if you want to use the uh, Bibles we've provided on the seat backs, on page 1209. I'm not putting all the 15 verses up for you on the screen today, all right? You've got to be looking at something to follow along, and we're going to read and go through every single word of that great passage. 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Okay. Now, will you let me set the table first before we go to this passage? I want to set the table. Consider this the appetizers before we get to the main course. All right, here we go. This notion of love requires definition. We must define love before we talk about it being the center of our life. And as I said, in the Greek language, there are actually four different words for love in the ancient classical Greek. Some of these words are used in the Bible. Others are found in other Greek literature. Four different words. The first, and, and, and here's why we get in so much trouble here, because we got one for all these four things. And we get all confused about which is in operation and what should be and what isn't. But here's the first one. The first word for love in the Greek language we would define as affection. Affection. You know what affection is. It's the warm, fuzzy feeling. 
It's a wonderful part of life. Uh, I was saying to the first two hours and, uh, that uh, in the early morning when I'm sitting in my prayer chair, if Marie rises after I do, I, I, I am drawn even to her footfall on the steps as she comes down the stairs. We just fit together like a glove on the hand right now. That's affection. It's just, just a warm care for people. You can have it toward animals, toward pets. I, I've never had a dog, but I've seen many of yours. And I'm, I'm absolutely amazed at the affection that can be there for a, a dog. A cat, I don't understand. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But so affection can bridge beyond people. To, to animals. It can even be in, in, in things. Our granddaughter was over this week. She's 18 months old. She woke up from her nap on Friday, kind of grouchy, and Marie brought her down the stairs, and she was fussy and everything else, and then Marie went upstairs and got this little thing that's made out of terry cloth, and it's got a little elephant's head on it, and uh, we used to call these blankies, now, someone in the second service corrected me, and this was, this was a man who looked like he was, you know, like a Marine, uh, but he said, no, no, they're loveys. They're loveys. All I know is that when Marie got that lovey blankie with the little elephant head on it for Aubrey, she grabbed it, she brought it here, and then she leaned into my wife's shoulders. That's affection, Okay. Now, C.S. Lewis, the great thinker of the second half of the, of the 20th century in Christianity, said that he believed that 90% of all solid and durable happiness in this world is because of affection. Yeah, that's the first love. Here's the second one. Friendship love. Friendship love. Friendship love happens when you meet somebody and you discover that you have shared interests and you find yourself stirring one another up in these interests. And, and as C.S. Lewis says, friendship love occurs when one person is talking to another and they hear a value that that person has and they immediately go, you too? I thought I was the only one. And you make friends with people with whom you have shared values. It's a warm, wonderful kind of love, friendship love. My friend Jim Getz, who comes to the first service all the time, he and I have a friendship love. I accidentally dialed him this week. You know what term that is that I won't mention here. And then I, I hit end real quick because I didn't want to bother him. He was working in Phoenix while I was here. And, I, and it was just a mistake call. But immediately he rings back. And I go, hey, Jim, I didn't mean to call you. It was one of those I can't mention it in church calls. And he goes, oh, well... How you doing? I go, I'm doing pretty good. And Jim and I just kind of connect. And we connect around stuff we share. And, he, and uh, personality sh connection, things. We both like the Green Bay Packers. I know, I'm sorry, but as you're going to see, you have to love me no matter what. <laughs> but for us, it's just a natural affinity. And he said, hey, do I, do, should we go to a game this year? And I go, yeah, let's, and then we both said, maybe not. It's not a good year for the Packers. In fact, my agape love, God love, wants all of you 
Bears fans to enjoy today. It's the last time you'll beat the Packers in years. So enjoy it. And I'm, I'm, I'm with you in this. It's okay. I'll be fine. Friendship love. Shared things. Third kind of love. Third kind of love is what we call romance love. Da, 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 da. This is the kind of love that most of the songs are about. And, and they're either songs of absolute unbridled longing for one. Not many, you can have many friends. You have one lover. And it, and, it, and it may or may not be sexual. It just is just deep attraction. Okay? The first love is affection. Warm, caring. This is attraction. And suddenly the whole world gets brighter and you begin naming stars at night. And, and everything that's wrong is suddenly right. And idiosyncrasies are just idiosyncrasies and a part of the unique personality of that one other. Problem with romance love, and the Greek word for it is called eros, is it's incredibly fickle. <laughs> Woo! 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 And as soon as the earliness of it wears off, it tends to fade in and fade out. It's wonderful. Love makes the world go round. Love makes the world. It's wonderful, but it's untrustworthy. <laughs> and it's not enough to hold you in. There's a fourth love. And this is the love that anytime you see the word love in the New Testament, with the two or three exceptions, it's this love. And it's the love which the ancients called charity. You see, the first three loves, affection, friendship, attraction, or romance, they are all need loves. Now look at my hands. Need loves. I really love you, but I really need your love. I really like you as a friend. I want to serve you, but I hope you want to be, serve me too. It's need love, all three of those. The fourth love, and the most robust of them, C.S. Lewis calls gift love. Uh, I think it's better understood if you say giving love. This, this is the robust, steel-cut kind of love that is other-focused without any need being met in us. It is not emotional. It's volitional. Now, emotions will often get attached to it. In fact, the more you do this love, charity love, the more your emotions for affection or attraction grow. But the point is, operates independently of emotion. It operates on volition. Uh, our warriors that are here, those of you that have served in the armed forces, it wasn't affection, friendship, or romance that led you to the battlefield. It was gut-level serving the country because of the causes of evil that were seeking to be brought down. That's what we're talking about. This is the great love. This is the love the Bible talks about almost exclusively. Without this love, the other loves fall apart. Anyone who's been married for a while will tell you that romance got me there, but it couldn't keep me there. 
Agape love, charity love, the fourth love is what keeps you there. It is the love that makes the world go round. Uh, another example of it, besides our, our veterans, the food box thing we did in the last few weeks, the Children's Hunger Fund, how many of you participated by filling one or more boxes of food for that? Thank you. You're a part of nearly three, 1,300 boxes that were returned full. And that's the highest we've ever had. So good job, everybody. Great job. Yeah, you can clap if you want. And this Children's Hunger Fund that we do this for, they serve clients in greater Chicago area, St. Louis area, and Minneapolis area. Did you know that just what we did here, our three congregations, literally provided all the food necessary for the children on their lists in those three places for five weeks? You have fed children for five weeks because of what you did. All right, you didn't know them. There was no affection. They weren't your friends, and it certainly wasn't romantic. It's a cardboard box. But you did it. It's for others. Do we feel kind of good when we do it? Okay, fine, I'll give you that. But you did it because you should do it, right? That's the great love. And that's the love we're talking about. It's so fantastic that it gets its own four verses in the Bible that just give 15 descriptors so you try to understand it. You can't put the fourth love into one sentence. Look at this now from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. What is this kind of love? Attributes of agape charity love. It is patient it is kind, ooh. It is truthful, ooh. It is always, in fact, Paul uses the word, it always protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. You feel the strength of this kind of love? And then sometimes we define things by what they are not. It helps us to understand what they are better. So then Paul moves into all of these words. It is never envious. Oh. It is never proud. It is never self-seeking. It never delights in evil. It's not boastful. It's not dishonoring. It's not quick-tempered. It does not hold on to wrongs. Just look at that list for a minute. I'm just going to be still. And I have a three-letter response for that. Wow. When the Bible talks about love, that's what it's talking about. All right? Table has been set. Appetizer has been served. Let's go to the main course. 1 John chapter 4. Now, there are three general themes that come out of this, uh, these passages here. And we're going to go through 15 verses. Incidentally, these 15 verses contain the word agape love 25 times. All right? First, the first big theme that comes out of it is God is love. The second theme that's going to come out of it, and you, you'll see it on the screen, is our love. Now, don't get hurt by that because it is possible for you to start exemplifying the same love that God has, our love, what it can be. And the third one is how this love even has the capacity to extinguish or drive out fear. It can conquer fear. All right? Those are the big three themes. 
So let's go. Every verse is going to be looked at. Starting verses 7 and 8. You ready? Dear friend. Dear friends, plural. Let us love one another. For love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born and from and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. There was a song that came out in the 70s. In the first generation of what we call contemporary Christian music, we all used to take our guitars and we would do these Maranatha songs. And they were all written exactly from Scripture. It, it wasn't writers trying to put their own poems together. It was word for word from the Scriptures. And I love them. I learned so much scripture from those first 10 or 15 Maranatha praise albums. This was one of them. I bet some of you know this. I'm going to sing it. And join me if you know it. And then the second time, we're all going to sing it. And if you don't want to sing, you will just mouth the words so that I'm encouraged. <laughs> all right. So it went like this. Okay. I think this is on Maranatha 2. Uh, I think the second album went like this. Beloved. It's, it's these two verses. Let us love one another, love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God, and knoweth God. But he who loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. I see you like it. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. You ready? Beloved, come on, everybody. Let us love one another. Ladies, love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knoweth God. But he who loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Do, 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 do. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Where was it? 1 John 4, 7 and 8. I think it's in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. All right. So the key point of these first two verses, which that song uh, quotes, is this. And hang on to this and get a hold of this. God is love. This is God is love. You say, of course. No, 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 no. I want to go deeper. We would all agree that God does loving things. But this says God is love. Verse 8 repeats it in verse 16. Those three words. That means the very essence of the character and the attributions of God is that God is love. Now the great English scholar uh, John Stott in writing on these passages says that God is love as the core of his being, the essence of his own DNA. If God has DNA, I don't know. But it's the essence of who he is. And he says all his other attributes find his love flowing through them. God is sovereign, creator of heaven and earth. Why? His love wanted to give to all of creation. God is just and brings judgment. Why? Because the unjust deserve justice. It's a love issue. You can go on and on. You can even go the doctrine of hell. 
If God is a God of love, why does he send people to hell? And I always say he doesn't. You really have to choose to go. But why would God, if he's a loving God, consign people who didn't want to know him in this world to have to dwell with him forever? There'd be nothing loving in it. God is love. And all of his attributes are entwined, if you will, with this love. All his activities are loving. You, you even have geographical and chronological portraits of this endless love, agape, of God. Geographical. Uh, says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's love for those who revere him. Heavens above the earth. Sometimes I just quote that because I go through times when I wonder if God loves me. I don't know if you do, but sometimes I do. And I, and I just quote that. I go, God, you have said that as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great your is, love is for me and others as we seek you. Whoa. And, and, and then how about chronological? The same uh, psalm, Psalm 103, that I just quoted from. It says, from everlasting to everlasting. And by me, even putting a boundary on it means I'm not expressing it, right? From whence there was no beginning to whence there is no end is God's love for those that revere him. This great, robust, at all cost, self-giving love is the nature of God. That's the first point. Now let's go to the same chapter starting in verse 9. And now, now the theme is uh, God's love proven. God's love proven. 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What John is doing here is saying, let me prove it to you that God is love. Let me show you historically that God is love. And of course, he goes back where we should all always go back to the person of Jesus Christ. And, and he says, God sent his one and only son that we might live, and it means eternally, through him. Jesus was sent to us that something he does will occasion that we can live eternally with God. He explains it further in 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Sin separates people from God. And God sent his son, who was the sinless wonder, the God-man who was perfect. And this God-man literally takes the penalty for our sins upon himself. He sheds his blood for our sins. There's nothing greater than that. This is God proving his love. I, I, I'll share this story. I heard it years and years ago 
really like it. Uh, there was a train coming with tons and tons of people on it. I don't know that this is true. It's probably not. It's just a good story. Train coming with lots and lots of people. And a man who had the job of switchman, which means he would go into this little hut, and as the train was coming to the end of this track and needed to go on to the next one, he would be the one that would pull the lever so that the train would turn, that the, the track would turn and take all the people to their destination. One day the switchman brought his son to the hut with him so the son could see what the father was doing. And the train was coming and the lights were glowing which means he needs to get ready to move that probably mechanically early on. Now it's just a button I'm sure. Computer, you know, click, it, click something. But it causes the mechanical operation of the track to literally turn and take them to safety. If they kept where they were going, they would all be killed. As the train is coming, the little boy who's caught up in such wonder at all these mechanisms is looking down into them while his father is studying the train and he falls into the mechanisms. And the father at that split second has to make the push to move the tracks. But he knows that if he does, his son will be destroyed in the mechanisms. And the father says, son, I have to save all these people. And this little boy looks up from the mechanism and says, Daddy, pull the switch. Now, no analogy is perfect. But in that, you have both the father and the son realizing what must be done to save the people. This is love. Love proven. So, God's love God's proven love. Now verses 11 and 12 start to move us toward our love. Remember I said that's the second theme? Our love. And this is verses 11 and 12. And I read. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's two things there. One is the simple admonition. If God loves us this way, we ought to love others that way. Selfless, robust, 15 distinctive love called agape. Okay, nice command. We should do that. Now notice what he says in there, however. He says this. As we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, verse 12. But if we love one another, and then underline these next four words, God lives in us. This is the first hint. That's where, where the motivation for the great royal love operates in us. When God lives in us is the only place that God can go for us to become these kind of lovers. It's his love in us. God is love. God places himself in us, Father, Son, and Spirit. And since he in his essence is love, that love begins to surge through us toward other people. John goes so far to say, when God lives in us, and his, his love is then made complete. What's that mean? The word complete means, uh, tele, it's teleos, it means finished or perfect. God's love is perfected. 
when God's love is in us and it loves others. When, when Jesus Christ was here, that was perfect love. But that perfect love operated in a time and space continuum. One place, one time, 33 years, that's it. Now, his actions on the cross and with the empty tomb mean that the application of his love can be for everyone forever. But the sheer ability to love the way God loves was limited to one place and time. Not any longer. When you and I know Jesus Christ and his love, whom he is, is in us, he says God's love is perfected. Why? Because now it is manifest through about a billion people on this planet. It's completed. It goes everywhere where there's darkness, everywhere where wrong rules. It begins to move in. Yeah, that, I think that's what that means. That's how it's perfected. Now, uh, you'll see that those verses go on from here. And let's read 13 to 16 now. This is how we know that we live in him. Remember, 12 is where it says he lives in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. This is how we know. He has given us of his spirit. It's not a little tiny Jesus that climbs in and lives in your spirit, is it? It's God the spirit who lives in your spirit. And God is one God in three persons. The spirit lives in us. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so, verse 16, we know we can therefore rely on the love God has for us. The essence of this passage is I know that you say I don't display this kind of royal love very well. And I want to say me too except when I'm walking close to God and I'm in Christ. I can't help but love this way. You couldn't shut it out of me. It's not naturally a part of our loves, to, uh, of life, to love unselfishly. But when Christ is in us, His Spirit is in us, the Father is in us, and they as one are pure love, you can't help but start displaying it. And the more you grow in Christ, the more you will display it. Oh, golly, it jeepers. It's easy to love people who are lovable. The real test are those that aren't. Even them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they've done, cried Jesus. Stephen, the first martyr who, who is stoned to death in the book of Acts, says, Lord, just as they're killing him, he goes, Lord, don't hold this against them. What is that? That is the royal love. That is agape. That is selfless love pursuing. And, and John is saying to us here, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and if you believe that, you believe that he himself is deity, and if you believe that his spirit is in you, don't, don't go overboard with this, but... You have deity in you. You're not deity. But you have deity in you now. And that deity loves like nobody's business. Yeah. Wow. One little thing about verse 14. 
It's kind of inserted in that passage I just read, but it's a bit of a, an abrupt uh, entry. He says in 14, And we have seen and testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Two things from that. Why, why does John stop his teaching about God being in us and we being in God and therefore we will love in the same way that God loves? Why does he stop that and say, uh, we want you to know that we have seen this and we testify to it? I think it's more of the proof. Remember, John starts his epistle. The first five verses of chapter one, he says, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have touched concerning the word of life, meaning Jesus. They were eyewitnesses. They were there. This is what we're proclaiming to you. So I think once again, when we start thinking how unfathomable, I have trouble with that word. I'll try it again. Unfathomable, good, got it that time. The concept of God's love breathing through me is, John says, I believe it because I've seen it. And you can too. John is saying, trust me in this. I'm an eyewitness. I felt it. I touched it. I saw it. Now, look what he says. Same verse. He says, he sent his son to be the savior of the world. World, Greek word cosmos. It's like we just turned our channel to PBS. Cosmos. That Greek word can be translated just all the people of the earth. It can be translated into all things on the earth. It can be translated to mean all things in the universe. God is the savior of the cosmos. Beginning to end, all things. And he saves us. He saves us from our sins. Now, just, just a quick aside, he's only your savior if you think you need saving. If you don't think you need saving, he's not your savior. But if you've come to the end of yourself, saying, I don't do life very well at all, and I desperately need a savior, you need Jesus Christ. Come even today, right at the end, there'll be people here who just say, I, I, I need a savior. And they'll pray with you that you may know him and be saved. All right. Then it, then it jumps up and, and we start heading toward the end. Verse 16 and following. The end of 16. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. He just keeps repeating this over and over. This is how love is made complete amongst us so that, now watch this, so that you will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There, there's no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in God's love. When you think or when I think that my goodness is not good enough for God and he, he's not approving of me, when you think that your life and the guilt and the shame that you often feel really comes from God and you ought to feel that way, that's a lie. Because the love of God supersedes over all guilt, over all shame, and over all fear that you'll be eternally separated from God. The love 
extinguishes the fear. As high as the heaven are above the earth, from everlasting to everlasting, the essence of God is selfless love, and all who call on Jesus to be their Savior are given the gift of eternal life. You need not fear guilt, shame, or eternal condemnation because God is love. See? He ends the whole thing in 19 through 21, and so do we. We love because he first loved us. He keeps saying that. I haven't dealt with it much yet, but get ready. I'm about to beat you over the head with a stick, all right? It's a loving stick, though. Yeah. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have not seen cannot love God whom they... Uh, I'm sorry, I messed it up. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must love their brother and sister. This is where it gets horizontal. Is there a brother or sister in Christ that you not only don't like, but you don't think they deserve to be loved? You got to get over that. If the love of God is in you, you will find yourself forgiving and reconciling with even those you think don't deserve it. Because you know what? We didn't deserve it either. And I don't know what this means this afternoon. A telephone call, a letter written, a text sent. But if you're at enmity with anybody who knows and loves Jesus Christ, the love of God is not in you. You need to let it be released. And his love is greater than all their sins. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, unto you I commit these words and ask that your word would go out and do what you want it to accomplish to succeed in the matter for which you have sent it, which is, Lord, to know that we are loved and to know that we become lovers of everyone. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we stand together and sing and respond to a God who first loved us? We're free to love. Forever we will say, You're the Lord our God.
through him to the whole world. You don't really have to ask if he's with you. He is. Give yourself to him and go out and take that love to your world. You are loved. Now be loving. God bless you, everyone. We'll see you next week.